Everybody say, I am blessed with success. Okay, now we're going to say it like we really mean it. We're going to say it deep down from our heart because, you know, the Bible says that you got to prophesy. you got to call those things that are not as though they already are. And so if you're not successful in every part of your life, then you've got to begin to speak to those areas that are weak and say, I am blessed with success. You know, Matthew chapter 5, and, and we're going to be here for the next at least six to eight weeks. And it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's known as the Beatitudes. But I could really categorize it as a success seminar. Because there's a lot of ways out there. There's a lot of books out there available, a lot of podcasts of how to be successful in life. And, and while I enjoy those, there's all good. This is what Jesus taught and if you want to be successful in all aspects of your life, then we need to go back to what he has and establish that foundation. And then we will be blessed with success in every facet of our life. Uh, on Thursday, I had an opportunity to do a homegoing service for a member of our church, Julie Briscoe. And Julie... Um, be praying for her husband, Ernie. Uh, this week, the 21st of, of May, they, would be, they will be celebrating 50 years of marriage together. And, uh, but she went home to heaven, you know, about a week and a half ago. And so be praying. But this is what she said. She said, Ernie, we are blessed. We are rich. And he says, well, we ain't got no money. How are we rich? And, and, and she says, we're rich because she said, number one, she said, Ernie, all our bills are paid. She said, we have a house, we have land, uh, we have our cars, you know, all those things. And then she said this, and we're rich because we have each other, amen. And so, you know, that's what I'm saying. That is the right attitude, that is the right heart. And in Matthew chapter 5, if you turn there, I want you to notice that in, in these, in, in verses 3 through 11, there is... A couple of incredible words that I think that we need to grab onto if we're going to be success. Because you are blessed with success in your life. God blesses those, verse 3. 4, God blesses those who. Verse 5, God blesses those who are. Verse 6, God blesses those who. Verse 7, God blesses those who are. 8, God blesses those whose. Verse 9, God blesses those who. Verse 10, God blesses those who are. Verse 11, God blesses you when? Everybody say, I am blessed with success. And so very simply that, that we're going to focus on those things because Jesus really summed up the kingdom of God and how it worked. He gave those people 2,000 years ago, and, and it's interesting because it's the first message that he preached publicly he gave them, this is how to be successful in life. This is how to be prosperous in life. This is how to be rich in life. This is how to have everything to have life fulfilling and all that kind. This is what it is. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to, or the next two months, roughly, we're going to be spending that time as students of Jesus' success seminar in our life. And what's interesting is God saying, this is how it works. If you want to be blessed in your life, coming in, you want to be blessed going out. You want to be blessed above, but beneath every aspect of your life. He says, here, what I'm doing is I'm going to put success into your hands. And then what you do with it is up to you. And I love this quote. It says, the true measure of how you perform will come in the course of life. And you will have to grade yourself. The true measure of how you perform 
will come in the course of life. And you will have to grade yourself on how you perform. So in other words, our success in life whether we like life, we don't like life, we're enjoying life, life is overflowing, it depends on what we are because, because you are blessed with success in your hands. God's already given that to you. And the point of the class 2,000 years ago was to teach them how to be happy, how to be prosperous, how to be successful, how to be blessed in their life. And he said, if you want to be successful in life, then be teachable, be humble, be trusting. If you want to be blessed in life, then you need to learn how to mourn properly. It didn't, and it's interesting because, because I, I had two funerals last week. I'll have one this week and, and people that, that I know personally. And, and, and it says, blessed are those who mourn properly. It didn't say happy are those who mourn, but, but blessed are those mourning. And so we're going to talk about that next week because if you've ever gone through a traumatic situation in life, then you may be mourning. You may be mourning the loss of a job. You may be mourning the loss of stocks. You may be mourning the loss of, of a car or, or a fire victim or whatever that is. And, and God says there's a way that you can be blessed through that. He says you can be blessed by being non-judgmental. You can be blessed by being gracious and humble and having a spiritual appetite and being merciful and pure in heart and being a peacemaker and how to be blessed during the most difficult times of, of when you're being persecuted in life. And so God wants you to know that you are, you are blessed with success. But before you, you understand what, 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 what poor in heart means, you've got to understand what blessed means. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it for the next 20 minutes. And we have a water baptism, excited about it. But let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, I just thank you. And Father, I just pray that each and every one of us over the next four to six weeks will become better in fitting the description of what you consider a successful Christian walk is. And Father, not only will it be a successful Christian walk, but Lord, we'll, we'll take that knowledge, we'll take that that information, and we'll begin to process it, allow the Holy Spirit to help us be able to understand it. We'll begin to apply it to our lives, Father. And Lord, that through this time, as we go through each one of these Beatitudes, <laughs> that we'll really look at our life, and we'll really evaluate our life. That some of our parts of our lives, we'll be able to give ourselves high marks, and others, we struggle in areas. But Father, let us be real and ask, how successful am I really as a person? How am I successful in my marriage, in my family, in my career, in my health, in my finances, in my emotional soundness, in my friendships? Father, is my heart pure? Am I teachable? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Am I hungry for the things of God? Am I merciful and less judgmental? And Father God, what's most important is you taught this message outdoors. And Lord, I'm teaching it indoors, but you taught it outdoors where we're to put it into practice. So Father, as we come to you the next several weeks, we submit ourselves and get ready to receive all that you have for us. And then Lord, let us carry it out in our lives. Live it, let us live it out in our lives so others will be touched. And Father, when we step from this earth into heaven, that we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a little, and I make you ruler over much. And Lord, that's what I prophesy into the house. I speak into every life. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, God blesses those who are poor 
and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The New King James says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and they realize their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I, I was driving a, a, about a month ago, and I was driving in my old, old neighborhood, the second neighborhood that I lived in when I lived in Moberly, and, and it was over on Marwood Circle. And, and some of you may know Longview and Shoemate and Terra Park and, and then Marwood Circle. When I lived there, there was only two houses on it. I call it the Leave it the Beaver neighborhood of Moberly, Missouri, because it looks like something Beaver would have lived in way back in the day. But I got thinking about the first time that I learned how to ride a bike without training wheels. And, and think about that for a moment. Do you remember the, the first time that, that you tried to ride a bike without training wheels? And Marward Circle has a slight hill that goes down to it. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a cul-de-sac at that point. Like I said, there was only two houses down there. And I remember my dad, I had a red bike, a little red bike, and I had the train wheels. And, and, and I was about five years old, and I thought, man, it's time to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. Well, my dad owned three funeral homes, so always in our driveway were these two humongous black brand new Cadillacs. That's what he had. That's what they hauled the family in. And, and I remember he was starting me on the hill because that way he'd get me a little bit of momentum going down the hill. And, uh, and so he took the training wheels off and, and, and he sort of pushes me a little bit. And as I'm going on the bike, all of a sudden I get scared and I, I start turning left into our driveway because that was a safe place, our home. I knew that that was safe. And then all of a sudden I remember the first time I tried to ride a bike without training wheels, I went right in the back of one of his Cadillacs, busted out the light, did all that kind of stuff. And it was like surreal. I still remember it. It was like you hit it. And then you just slowly fell over, and, and I slowly fell over, and I started crying. I mean, I was crying my eyes out because it, it wasn't that I really hurt, but I was failed. And how many of y'all remember when you tried to ride that bike the very first time without training wheels, you crashed? But how do you, how many of y'all remember? And he got me back up, and he pushed me down that hill again. And I remember the first time that I learned how to use the brakes. And I stopped the brakes, but what I didn't know was I wasn't supposed to, I was supposed to put my foot down. Well, I stopped and then I tumbled over again and started crying again. And then through a period of, uh, of several attempts and tryings, I, man, I thought I was, I was like stepping up to the plate to hit a home run when I could figure out how to put on the brake, get my foot down and not fall over, come on. And you begin to think about that in your life and then you think about a week later, man, you were like a professional bike rider. You could do everything rolling and around. And, but but what, the key is who taught you? Who taught you how to do that? Was it a parent? Was it a sibling? Was it a friend? Because it's interesting because whoever taught you how to ride a bike without training wheels, you trusted them. And you had an eagerness to want to learn how to do that despite the crashes in life. And you got up time after time again and, and went and you didn't care what everybody thought. And even though my friends Steve Wood and Jeff Bunton and Scott Shiner and all of them were watching because they all knew how to ride a bike, I, I remember that moment because I didn't care. I just had this incredible hunger to want to learn how to ride a bike and learn it to ride it without training wheels. I didn't want to be the baby on the block anymore. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And yet, how many of us have grown up and lost our ability to learn, to be taught, and to trust? How many of us 
are so worried that we know it all that, that we don't want to expose ourselves that I don't know, I'm, I'm not aware. And, and we've somewhere lost that ability to learn and be taught and to trust. And yet Jesus in our opening statement, he said the key to happiness is this is what I'm going to teach you. And John 10, 10 says that you might have life and life more abundantly. But before we see what it means to be poor in spirit, where we have to be open to be taught and to learn and be our, held accountable in our life, we need to understand the word blessed. Everybody say blessed. Because if Jesus said it nine times in like eight verses, and then each time he said it, he would put a special caveat at the end of it, then I'm thinking, this is something I want to know. And it's not only like in there somewhere in the Bible, it's like the first public message that he talked about. And the word blessed, when I first heard it, I thought it was like a churchy word, a spiritual word, a religious stuffy word. But when I learned the meaning of the Bible of the word blessed, man, I replaced it with luck. I replaced it with everything because, man, I want to be blessed. And when you understand, everybody say blessed. When you understand the word blessed, you'll want to say it and apply it to your life all the time. Listen to what it says. To be happy and overflowing with indescribable joy. To be happy and overflowing with indescribable joy. And in a time in our culture when more people are depressed than ever been depressed, when more people are unhappy, it's hard that, that you, I mean, people don't smile anymore. They don't get excited. There's not that indescribable joy that's going on in their lives. And if they have it, they only have it for a moment, but not all the time. The second definition biblically of the word blessed is to have special gifts, advantages, and benefits conferred upon you by God himself. That God notices you and God wants to bless you in an incredible way with an incredible gift and indescribable gifts and special gifts and advantages that you stand out. That's why, you know, the graduates that we prayed over at first service, the second service, that, that God has put gifts in them and, and he wants them to stand out and be blessed. And, and then it says to receive a personal expression of congratulations. Man, that's, when God says, well done. And I think if we, we, we understand that God just didn't want to say, well done, when we go to heaven. But if you'll listen to his voice, sometimes he'll say, you know, Vic, well done. And I'm proud of you, son. Even if nobody else did anything. And nobody else saw what you did. I saw what you did. And you're my boy. And I'm proud of you. He said, I'm going to take that thing that you did. And I'm going to put it on my refrigerator in heaven so I can be reminded. And that's what it means to be blessed. And it's why we prayed over those graduates and, and called them blessed in all that they do. Got a friend of mine. We spent six hours here about a month ago and uh, driving up to Iowa and back. And, and uh, Scott Taylor, you all may know Scott. He spoke at the MACC commencement last night. But Scott, two weeks ago on Tuesday, got his Ph.D., and while we were driving up there, I said, Scott, man, God is going to give you, you know, with much promotion comes a new responsibility. And he's going to give you a new platform. And be praying for my friend Scott. He's up today at a friend of mine's church in Iowa tonight and tomorrow. It's a, it's a new church. And he's going to teach him on vision boarding. And I really believe, I told him, I said, God's going to open up this incredible ministry to you that's something new. He's going to give you this platform because the Bible says, my people perish, Hosea 4, 6. My people perish because of ignorance. 
Because they don't have ignorance to what? They have, they're ignorant to the vision that God has for their life. And, if, and, and the vision board that he teaches, and we teach it, I would encourage you to take that class when he teaches it again here. Because that vision board allows you to put feet to the vision that God has placed in your heart so you don't get frustrated. And then you can begin to live that, that blessed life and, and advantages and benefits of what God wants to do in your life. But you are, you are, are blessed with success. Everybody say, I am blessed with success. And in today's culture, it's strange. People have strange ideas of what happiness is. But it's not about happiness. But when you see a truly blessed person, there is a glow about them. There is, there is a countenance about them that, that's just something amazing. I love to be around them. And sometimes you can't put a finger on who they are and why they're that way. But they're always, they're always that way because why? They're blessed with success. They're, they're walking in the benefits and advantages that God has for their life. And let me tell you, if anything that we want for you as a staff and as a church is, is we want you to learn the secrets to successful living. And we want that for you. And, and so why? So you can have that indescribable joy. You can have that life fulfilled. You can have that happiness that transcends everything that, 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 that is around you and in you. And, and man, no matter what life throws at you, it's, it's beautiful and it's glorious. But how do you get that? Everybody say Humility. That's the first lesson that Jesus taught for the day. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are those who are humble and realize their need for God. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's the New King James or the King James Version. And it's sad because in religious circles, teaching has come out that the only people that are blessed are poor people. But the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. He never said, blessed are the financially poor. But he did say poor in spirit. And when he said poor in spirit, he's talking about humility or a state of humility or, or an attitude of humbleness. What does that mean? That, that we're simply willing to be guided and taught. We're willing to be guided and taught from something outside ourselves, something outside who we are. That's why I say my job as a pastor is to give you information. That's it. My job is to give you information from the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give you revelation or give you understanding, to take the information that we give you, that you study on your own, and the Holy Spirit helps you begin to process that in your life. And then wisdom is simply applying the knowledge or the information that you understand to your life. That's wisdom. And so you have to allow that. Then you have to apply that. Being poor in spirit has three components. Number one, to be teachable. You know, never think you, you learned it all. How many of y'all know those know-it-alls? You can't tell them anything because they know it all. Amen. Well, you have to be teachable. And then the big one is you have to admit personal inadequacy. You know what? I'm inadequate to be a husband. I'm inadequate to be a dad. But then the third thing is to trust God to supply whatever you lack. To trust God to supply whatever you lack, tangible or intangible. That's being teachable. That's being humble. That's being poor in spirit. 
to trust those people that God brings into your life, to speak into your life, even though you don't get it, even though you don't always like it. But being teachable and humble means that you're willing to say, you know what, I'm inadequate in what I do. Because you think about it, none of us can have anything really to offer God. Oh, we can offer him our heart and we can offer him our life. But really, what else do we have to offer him? You know, I, I, I think, you know, I can give him my failures. I can give him like the prophets that all I got when I came to him. Labor Day, 1990, man, I didn't have much of a life left. I had two legs and a piece of an ear. And I said, God, I ain't got much. And I look at what he's done through my, through my life and, and touching lives. And it's absolutely amazing that, that God allows me the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of people's lives in their most celebratory times, in their most difficult times. But I've learned is that we're hopeless and powerless unless his grace empowers us. Unless his grace empowers us. But it's only after we first confess our own inability to accomplish anything without God that we can accomplish something. John 15, verse 5, for without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible to him who believes. Psalm 127, except the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord builds our career, unless the Lord builds our finances, unless the Lord builds our health, unless the Lord builds our marriage, our family, our business, whatever it is in our life, we labor in vain. Where it's like beating our head against the wall and not going anywhere. But the way to be blessed, everybody say, I am blessed with success. You've got to get that. That's like a mirror refrigerator, whatever, that you need to put it up there and, and declare it and say it until you start believing it. You need to call it into your life, call it every facet of your life, is to acknowledge the truth right up front. And that's why he gave us that truth. They'll put a picture up of Oral Hershiser. He's the World Series MVP for the Dodgers. He wrote a biography. And in the chapter... There was a title to chapter, Johnny the Hymn Singer. And he told the story that after he won the World Series and, and became the World Series MVP, he went on the Johnny Carson show. And he was a Christian, and Johnny knew he was a Christian. And, and so Johnny started needling Oral sort of about his faith and different things like that. And, and Johnny goes, well, Oral, I, I heard that, that you sing to yourself when you're on the mound before you throw a pitch. And, and Oral said, yes, I do. And he said, well, what else, Johnny? He said, let me tell you about this event. And Johnny kept coming back and, 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 and going after Oral and said, well, you know, hey, I heard you sing this song. And, and, and hey, Oral, I got a great idea. Why don't you sing a song right now that you sing that you sing on the mound? And Oral said, no, I don't want to do that. And Johnny got the crowd going in. We tried to get the video clip, but we wasn't going to go over a thousand shows to find it, uh, that video clip. So you just got to hear it and catch what I'm saying. But finally, the crowd started going, sing, 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 sing. And Oral tried to dismiss it, and Johnny was chiming in, and the crowd's chiming in. And finally, Oral said, okay. He said, I'll sing this one song that really just sums everything up. I'm not going to sing because I want you to come back, but that's what the worship team does. It's not my gift. It's not even in my wheelhouse. But this one song is what he sang. Praise God from all who blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
And Earl said in his book, as he sang that song, suddenly the crowd went silent. Johnny, for probably the first time in his life, had nothing to say. Because he was wondering, man, what did I just get myself into here? And in the, in the moment of the silence, Oral let it sit there for a minute to be awkward. And then Oral said this, I've been honored for being a baseball star, but I realize how inadequate I am without God. So when I'm on the mound, I ask God to be my adequacy. I ask God to be my adequacy. Why did God honor Oral? Why did he lift him up to a place of honor and promotion and being a role model? Not because he played in a World Series. Not because he was the MVP of the World Series. Not because he was on Johnny Carson Tonight Show. But because he was poor in spirit. Everybody say success. That's the first thing. The first thing. To be poor in spirit. You want to be successful in life? You want to have a significant life is where your life becomes significant when your children are more successful than you. You want to have a life that's one of legacy and heritage. That's when your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations are continuing the success that you started in their life. you got to be poor in spirit. And if your kids need to see anything in your life, that's what they need to see. Samuel Morse. A lot of you are familiar with Morse code. He also invented the telegraph, the first long-distance telecommunication system. In fact, some of his principles today are still used to identify navigational radio, radio waves that are going out and beams that are going out. And a friend asked Samuel Morse, he said, did you ever come to a standstill in your experiments? While inventing the telegraph, Samuel Moore said this many times. And when I did, I got on my knees and prayed. Lord, if you see fit to use me in making this device that will benefit mankind, I pray that you would give me more light on the subject. And after he would pray that prayer in Jesus' name, he would sit down. Then suddenly an idea would come to him. He didn't get all the ideas, but he would get the next idea. And he said that the next idea would come, and I would go back to work, and it would lead me one step closer to the final product in my life. He said that was the method that I used for all the inventions that I did in my life. He said I would pray, and then God would give me the next step, and I would go and perfect the next step, and then I'd go back and pray. And it's interesting because the first message that ever went across the telegraph line, what we would call Google now or the Internet now, the World Wide Web, it all started, the first message was what God hath wrought. What God hath wrought. And Moore said this, that though people bestowed honors on me, I never felt like I deserved them, but I believed I was simply a channel that God seemed pleased to use. Graduates, you need to get that. Family Life Fellowships, you need to get that. It's the key to success in your life. Success that will be lasting, success that will affect eternity. Those are the kinds of people that God will use will honor, will empower, will promote to bring miracles 
into other people's lives. Simply praying the same prayer that John the Baptist prayed. Lord, let me decrease so he may increase. And then he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Did that mean they have special entry into the pearly gates? Does that mean that, that, that they'll be in an elite neighborhood that's gated off from everybody else who wasn't at the less spiritual elite level that they thought they were at, that they had a special community, a bigger mansion? Does it mean any of that? No, it doesn't, it doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean any of that. It simply means that, that Jesus is talking about the kingdom here and now. The kingdom of God, he said, is within you. If you are born again, you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is within you and the kingdom of heaven is within you. And the poor in spirit have access to the kingdom that the haughty in spirit don't have. Because they readily admit they don't have the power to face the challenges that they're facing in their life. And so they simply say, God, I can't do it. I can't get through it. But I'm going to ask you for it. And God sends the power and God sends the angels and God sends the provision from heaven to do what they need. But it's only the poor in spirit who can say, I can do all things, Philippians 4.13, through Christ who strengthens me. When I sat with Jody Skaggs Friday night at 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock, and I sat with her husband and her two daughters and her son and her grandchildren, and I said, it's time to release her to go to heaven. It's time to release her. I can't do that. But God, when I submit myself, he can do that. Because see, in the middle of 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock, I had to go be happy time at the Western Baccalaureate. Extreme emotions. But what I'm saying is, when you ask God for it, he'll give it to you. He sends his power and he sends his angels and he sends his provision from heaven to fill the need that people need in their life. The reason most people fail the first lesson of success is because they retain their pride and their self-sufficiency and they're full of themselves. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. The famous American Ben Franklin didn't quite grasp the importance of spiritual poverty. And one time, if you study his story, he made up a list of 12 virtues that he thought that would make him successful in life. And so what he did was he made a list of 12 virtues, and he would do one of them each week for 12 weeks till he perfected them all. And then he would have arrived. He had his list included temperance, silence, order, resolve, prudence, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, and chastity. And it's interesting because when you read this story, he showed the list of his, of his 12 items that he believed would make him a success to a friend of his who was a Christian. And his friend said, you know what, Ben? 
you left one off. And Ben said, well, what one did I leave off? And his friend said, humility. And Ben said, I'll put that at the bottom of my list. And as we close, like a lot of people, like Ben Franklin, who put humility at the bottom of the list, and yet when you look at scriptures, Jesus put it at the top of the list. Whoever humbles himself before God will be lifted up. He said the first lesson that you need to get into your heart and your life if you want to be successful is to be poor in spirit. And the key to being poor in spirit, it opens up the door to blessedness and advantages and benefit and favor and getting the most out of life and having access to all the kingdom of heaven. This quote I read before I read Luke chapter 18 and I'll close with that. Says it's easier to irrigate low land than high ground. It's easier to bring forth from people, fruit from people who are teachable and trusting and humble. Listen to this story because one was poor in spirit and one was rich in their own spiritual wealth. Luke 18, verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at the distance and dared not even to lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me close with this quote from F.B. Meyer. I used to think that God's gifts were on the shelves, one above the other. And the taller you grow in Christian character, the easier it is to reach those gifts. Now I find that all of God's greatest gifts are on the lower shelves. So we always have to stoop down to get them. If you think about Jesus' last hours on earth, he stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. He said, go and do the same. Stooping down is the posture that we should have if we're going to be blessed with success in our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In a moment, you're going to see a couple of people who have made a decision to ask Jesus into their heart and go in public with their faith. But I want to talk to you right now, the person or the person's The first way to be humble that I know is simply say, Jesus, I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by you. Jesus, I believe that the first way to be humble is say, you know what? I'm lost and I need to be found. I'm blind and I want to see. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. 
And if that some way identifies with you, maybe for the very first time or maybe the hundredth time, the first thing, you just got to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you and I receive you. And you simply just say something like, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me where I've sinned. And I ask you, I ask you, Jesus, to give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you. Just receive this this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you. Sing Amen. children and their children and 
just take a minute to rest in his blessing this morning. I pray that you feel his face shine upon you, that you know it's nothing that we can earn, but something we get freely, that we just have to open our hands and receive and agree that his blessing is upon us. So as we pray, I want to encourage you to close your eyes, maybe put your hands out and receive that blessing from God. He wants to give it to you.